And now it is my great pleasure to introduce our speaker today, Dr. Patrick, who will catch us up on all spiritual knowings. Thank you, Reverend Connie. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you, guys. Gord and Josh and Chris. So I'd like to invite you, if, uh, if you're here for the first time, we typically sing a song now and then we go into an affirmative prayer. And uh, many people like to stand and do that. If you, and if you feel comfortable doing that, please feel free. And if not, stay seated. And we'll, this will allow this to take us, continue to build us uh, vibration of the Most High and take us into our discussion today. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough joy And quite enough love to walk through our every fear For spirit, one spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room and so what I invite you to know with me in this moment, and allow my voice to be your voice. I recognize the presence, the, the immediacy of spirit. I recognize that power, that intelligence, that healing force for good, immersed in and through and as each and every one of us. And so I just give thanks this day knowing that our intentions land upon this beautiful, beautiful presence that always says yes. And our intentions line up beautifully with the highest possibilities for you and I so that our lives become a reflection of the divine in every area of generosity, of service, of, of receptivity, of, of inspiration, of imagination, and of creativity. And so I just give thanks knowing that each and every one of us, myself included, is, is, is supported in every good way in this moment and each moment hereafter that the lessons and the ideas and the thoughts, the words, the spaciousness between the notes of the music and between the words is filled with that divine information that guides each and every one of us into a bigger idea and possibility of who we are and whose we are. And so I surrender to this. I open myself to this in every way. I stand in tremendous gratitude for this beautiful day. For an opportunity to be in this body and be in this planet and be in, in this, this opportunity in this beautiful, vibrant, spiritual community. I just give thanks, release these words in gratitude and appreciation, knowing for you and I that every good thing necessary shows up in the highest way possible. I stand ready, willing, and able as I know you do to be done unto and to be guided and directed in every good way. For this I give thanks, releasing anything in my awareness anything at a deep level of perhaps by not even knowing that in any way interferes with the finest expression of spirit in my life, I put it down now. And in that willingness is the power. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is.
Mm-hmm. All righty. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So I was in um, uh, Denver the last two weeks at um, various um, uh, meetings. I was at the Leadership Council meeting and I was at the uh, conferences and events meeting this last week. And, I, and there's a lot of things happening which are very exciting. I think they're very exciting. Uh, some people would not find them very exciting. And because what I know about that, I know about change. I saw this wonderful story about change and how change happens within culture. We are a spiritual community, and there's a wonderful book that someone uh, suggested I look at. I haven't read it yet, but gave me a quote out of it. It's written by a man who, uh, the title of the book is How NASA Creates Teams. And, of course, NASA is the, the National Association for Space Agency for the U.S., but it said that, that in that book and in that study that f- at least 50% of the energy and the resources that go into making change are social. And I would say in our community, in our, in our culture, because we are very much uh, a, a very uh, intimate relationships in terms of how we relate and the things that we have established that are precious to us, I'd say 90% of the resources are cultural. And that what we do is we float an idea up and then we, we wait for everybody to get on board. So we're not a... Uh, autocratic or authoritarian in, in how we make. So shifts and changes within our culture take time. And so I came across a story this week that I thought illustrated it really well. This Russian man goes into a Russian car dealership and he says, I, I want to buy the, a new car. And so he purchases a, this beautiful car. He's all excited about it. And he said to the dealer, when can I pick it up? And the dealer looks through his book and he says, uh, it will be available in 10 years. And so the customer says, oh, okay. And he pulls out his day planner and he says, will that be the morning or the afternoon? And the uh, car dealer says, well, what difference does it make? And he said, well, I've got the plumber scheduled for the morning. (laughs) So it takes takes time. (laughs) Dr. Holmes, Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, said, every day we we will be providing a bigger concept of life. And the inner growth we will have, an, and in that inner growth we have an enlarged power to speak forth into the creative mind. He said the result will be that we shall get a fresh impulse and be doing a bigger thing for ourselves. Growth and realization are always from within and never from without. Which is beautiful. He was our founder, but he was talking about the development of consciousness. He was talking about the deepening of consciousness. He was talking about what's possible in our lives. And so it's very important to realize and celebrate the good that we have in our lives but also to know that, that the, the present day good is just simply part of the journey rather than the final destination. The other piece, and many people ask me this because I've quoted it and I talk about Dr. Holmes saying we must look at a thing long enough until it no longer has power over us. And it comes from this. He said, old, um, old thoughts must be destroyed and new must take their place. Old thoughts must be destroyed and new must take their place. And this is why I'm very, very um, aligned with the co-creation pro- process that I've talked about. If you'd know, like to know more about that and also the kingdoms I'm gonna talk about, it's beautifully articulated in, uh, and there's no book in the bookstore. I'm working on that book right now because I realize that people, there's so much curiosity about the four kingdoms of consciousness. Um, but but uh, in the uh, Principles of Financial Freedom, it's, it's fleshed out really wonderfully. Or if you come to a Sacred Healing Circle, that's the, co- that's the co-creation process that uh, is so powerful. Holmes said, old thoughts must be destroyed and new thoughts must take their place. Every time the old thought comes, we must look it squarely in the face and declare that it has no part in your mind. So as we do this work to have the awareness, and that's part of the journey, is to have the awareness. So Holmes would say, in other words, we must look at a thing long enough so it no longer has power over us. And that's awareness. 
He said that it has no power over you. You state the law and rely on it to the exclusion of all else. So what we teach in our, in our philosophy is that we, we affirm something, we continue to work with it, and, and in the subjective nature of our consciousness, because the new idea is in op- opposition to it, it will rise up and we will be challenged. We'll be in that place. We'll, we'll be on the border we'll be between, the new, between the new idea and the old idea. And it's uncomfortable. But he talks about it right here very clearly. He says, daily try to see more and to understand more. Feel every day that you are being especially looked after. When I was with John of God and we were going back, um, one of the things that Heather Cummings would say every day, she'd say, if you're not thanking the powers for good, at least a thousand times a day, you're not thanking them enough. And what it suggests to me, and it also lines up so beautifully with Marcia Sutton's work in co-creation, is that the, one, of the, one of the tools to get into the third kingdom is gratitude. And so I thought of how, how, how similar the idea was. A thousand times a day. Am I thanking a thousand times a day? And because that feeling tone of gratitude is what puts us into that spaciousness of the third kingdom. We're all as well. Life is good, life is sweet, and it doesn't, and, and so when we find ourselves in, that, in that, that space between the new idea and the old idea, and we're looking at it long enough, how can we move ourselves into gratitude? So it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, clarity around this, around these ideas and possibilities of um, what's available to us. Last night, Laura and I went to, uh, this, this week we're talking about, this whole month we've been talking about saying Yes. And so what's really important, I think, is how we, what we're saying yes to in awareness, because it seems so, seems so simple. You know, you all said yes to coming here today. And when you said yes to coming here today, you said no to something else. You said no to sleeping in. You said no to maybe hooking up with a friend and having breakfast. You said no to maybe getting out in the yard early. There's all kinds of no's, but you said yes to this. And... What I know about our organization and being part of it, and, and, and the thing I love about being part of the discussion is that I get to go and I get to sit with people that have different ideas and different perspectives, and many of them stretch me, so I get a bigger mental equivalent. Because you want to be around people that stretch you. I do. I want to be around movers and shakers, and so I get, I get to, I spent a whole week, I was staying with my friend Eileen Flanagan, who's a lay, lay member of our, our leadership council. And she's a brilliant woman. She's just incredibly bright and, 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 and insightful. And so she thinks in a whole different way. So I'm always asking her questions. But what she becomes then in my life is a, is a new mental equivalent. So as she shares things and ideas, I, I get to say to myself, that's for me. Oh, I see now. I see how you get there. Because she thinks she's got a very analytical framework. So she will, she's able to put framework around ideas. I may have a conceptual idea, but I may not understand the framework. And she understands the legs of the building as well as the, the penthouse. We were talking about uh, new mental equivalents, and she was sharing with me. See, we all have been exposed to mental equivalents. We all have ideas that are ours, that we believe are, are, are precious, and they are because they're ours. And Eileen was sharing with me that she grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. Her mom and dad, and there were four sisters. And she, we went to Abhijanya with her. She was the one that said, come to John of God. And because, she was, because she's so brilliant in that capacity and, and does not seem, you know, it can sound like John of God is very woo-woo. You know, like, ooh, here we go, and all this. And, and, and so Eileen is so grounded in the practicality of life and so grounded in, in systems and, and, and very analytical. It, it sort of opened the door for me, and I found it very interesting. But what she said is that as girls, they're four sisters, and... Um, when the girls would get a job, when they first started getting their jobs, their parents would say to them, that is fantastic, good for you. And I can't wait till the day when you can do that for yourself. 
So in other words, someone who would get a job in a, in, a, in a business, and rather than simply say, fantastic, make sure you show up on time, and you're a good employee, because all that was probably conveyed as well, and I can't wait till you develop the capacity and the consciousness to do it on your own. And so what it did for those four girls growing up was it gave them a, diff- a, a mental equivalent of possibility. But you see how that works? It's so subtle and so powerful. So now, in this day and age, they're all, you know, uh, uh, have moved to a certain point in their lives. Three of them own very successful businesses. And one has a wonderful job working for somebody else. But if the mental equivalent that they were given as, as uh, young ladies was not as, as prevalent about encouraging them and, and seeing them as, as, as possible and planting those seeds of the mental equivalent that Holmes so brilliant. You can, you can Google mental equivalent and read several pages of what Dr. Ernest Holmes had to say about it because we are all living our mental equivalents. And our mental equivalents are a result of every day what we're saying yes to. So what are you saying yes to? What am I saying yes to? Because if I look at my life, that's what I'm saying yes to. And so, as I look at our organization, as I sit in these meetings, we've got old ways of being and doing and that are traditions and they're lovely and people hold them as precious and everything is wonderful, but, but they may not be our, a big enough yes at this point in time. And so the exciting part about it, and I can't share a lot of the details, is we're really looking at the, the restructuring and the re-energizing of our, our movement and our teaching and how we, can, how we can touch and impact 100 million lives. Because we know that we cannot train enough ministers and practitioners to do that. But there's also ways and means on the planet now that provide that opportunity. And so we're looking at how we can say yes to that possibility. But the problem, and so I, I share this with you as a, a metaphor for your life, because the, the, the challenge with that is then, then what do we say no to? Because some of the things we're going to say no to is what we've done in the past. And it's very easy to get, get connected, and, and rightfully so, to what we've done in the past. And so there's a whole culture there that wants to pick the car up in 10 years. Because that's when they'll be ready in consciousness. And because so much of our, our structure is societally based in that we want to take everybody along, and not only take you along, but take you along really happy. So it's, it's, it's that process or process. I had to use both last week because I was working with a couple of groups. So the Canadians, us Canadians say process. And then they would say, well, do you say prostitute? And I said, no, we say prostitute, of course. <laughs> you know, the cultural differences. So Holmes said, everything in nature moves in, in circles. What goes out must come back. What goes out must come back. Where's it going out from? It's going out from you and I. And unless the seed is sown, it cannot bear fruit. So we're always planting. We're always saying yes to something. We're always planting this, this crop. There must be a planting time for every harvest, and those who give, those who give all receive all. See, as they say in the 12-step program, half measures avail us nothing. And how do we get all the way in? Well, we get all the way in with faith. And building the spiritual knowing. And the faith is really about not, is understanding who we are and whose we are. That there's nothing to fear. You know, people continue to ask me about my experience with John of God. And I said that it's such a, you see, it's a quantum field there. And the quantum field is at that molecular level where it, there's, there's, there's all this, this work being done in a, in a vibration that is just so rich with, with the experience of love. That once you've experienced it, you realize, oh my gosh, life is eternal. There is no death. And, it, and it's, it, there's such a sweetness about it that you realize that all of this free-floating fear and anxiety and things that you don't even know you're carrying with you all of a sudden melt away. 
And so we get there. Part of the getting there is continuing to be mindful enough in our own awareness so that we plant the seeds of that possibility in our own consciousness so we stand more and more in the awareness at all as well. But it's very easy to get trapped in some of the kingdoms. I'm going to talk a little bit about the kingdoms right now. Holmes says that if we, to, to, uh, create greater uh, life for ourselves. He said, love and you'll be loved. It's so simple. Love and you'll be loved. But we have to know what we're loving from. Joyful, be, uh, extend joy and you'll become more joyful. That's how we create more of it in our lives. But it's hard sometimes because sometimes we're not joyful. How do you get there? The Talmud, he says, spirit will doubly guide the already guided. I love that. Spirit will doubly guide the already guided. So how do we do that? We, may, we say yes to the possibility I'm being divinely guided. How, well, how does that show up? Well, it shows up with people that show up into my life. It shows up by means of articles. It shows up by means of my own intuition. It shows up in my dreams. It shows up for you here today because in between my words and the notes of the music, there's a communication going on. That's a beautiful thing about us coming together is that the, the sum total of this creates a, a, a vibration. And it's a beautiful thing. Holmes continues, give and it shall be given unto you. Well, he quotes Jesus, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you met, will it be measured to you again. The law of reciprocity. So as we continue to fine-tune our consciousness and our awareness and our, our participation in the world and transform our, and, and continue to do the work, the house cleaning, our lives change. He continues, we do not give because spirit needs the gift, but because the givingness, the givingness increases, broadens, and deepens the life of the giver. But how do you get there? See, when you, when you move through the, the kingdoms of consciousness, when you're in victim consciousness, so I'll use a story that I think is poignant because I thought a lot about how I can use it as a teaching story, so I'll try it out with you. But when I was in the Fillmore Church, it was my first ministry, it was 1997, and I, I, I started out there and there were, everybody left when I became the minister because I'd been the usher. And so all of a sudden, the guy at the back of the room was out at the front of the room and people were like, what? What happened? Who is this guy? And so, and that's just the nature of it. When a new minister goes into a community, most of the people move out. Some stay, but a lot of them move out. So, um, I had, really I had about three people when the dust cleared, everybody. And so I was there, and, but one of the things I could do was I could fix stuff. And it was an old, beautiful church in Fillmore, California, which is about an hour and a half northwest of, of Los Angeles. And so I got in there, and we did all kinds of neat things. We built this 11-circuit labyrinth out of tile, and we and put in this meditation garden, and I've told a bit of the story of that. We put a new roof on. We painted inside and out. We, we fixed up all the, the wood around the place that was dry rotting. We put in, I poured all these cement patios because I thought, we'll do a wedding business here. You know, and we'll do weddings all over the place. And um, unfortunately, that didn't pan out because when Laura and I got married there at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at 5, the cops came by and said there were complaints. This was 5 in the afternoon that the music was too loud at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I thought, oh my gosh, could you imagine if we had a wedding business every weekend? But anyway, um, so I fixed the place up really nice and we did a bunch of landscaping. I really landscaped the front of the place and I got everybody involved. And... Um, 
so what happened over a period of time, I came here, and, they, and so ministers came after me, and it was really, and in, in, in Fillmore is a tough, tough geographical location. I mean, you, you know what realtors say, location, location, location. And um, so over a period of time, about five or six years after I was here, they decided that they were not making a goal of it and they were going to sell the building. And so they sold the building for almost a million dollars. And because there was no longer a congregation or group there, that money went to the home office. And when the home office got that money, they decided, let's try something new around conferences and events. We will go to San Diego. We will sign a contract that says a thousand people will show up and make a commitment to this for two years. And as a result of that, and the 1,000 people never showed up, about 300 showed up each year. So that close to a million dollars went to that effort. All that money that came in went out. And so in Kingdom One, consciousness, which is victim consciousness, where everything is done unto us. Let me get to my page on that. It's a kingdom where we see the light. But we're, not the, we, but we're not connected to the light. And so if I go into kingdom one about that, I can say, who did this? I did all this great work. I did fix this place up. It was immaculate. It was such a lovely little church. And who did this? And, and no one ever thanked me. I did all that work. I never got a letter to say, thanks for all the good work you did. Thanks for hanging in there and building a congregation. Thanks for, Nobody ever thanked me. And point fingers. and Kingdom one. So what happens in Kingdom One is follow, it's follow the leader consciousness. Our false beliefs and fears are communicating directly with our emotions. So my fears were, I didn't do enough, the organization didn't do enough, and then of course that puts me in the lack and I spin in that and then I get frustrated, I get scared, I get angry. And on and on and on. So, you know, I, I'm processing this I'm in, and it's happening and, I'm a, you know, and I'm very, I feel very invested in all this and, and I left something behind that I thought would be a great springboard for someone to take and grow with. And then I realized, you know what, this isn't a very productive idea for me. And so in Kingdom 2, the light isn't out there, the light is within us. And so in Kingdom 2, we start to, to awaken to this, this spirit and the spirit activates our minds and fear does not hold us back anymore. So in kingdom two of consciousness, courage shows up. And courage allows us to push down the fear so we can do it. As it says here, courage is not the absence of fear and doubt. It is the ability to see it and do it anyway. And so in that, the, the desire, and in kingdom two, there's a desire to possess. We want to have stuff. And it's not a bad thing. None of these kingdoms are bad. It's just kingdoms. So there's a desire to possess, and it takes self-confidence in this kingdom to survive. Because all of a sudden we start to own our power. We start to take our power back. And we, need to real, and we realize that we are a, an individualized expression of the one. And I can do my affirmative prayers and I can change my life. I can increase the prosperity in my life. I can increase the, the opportunities for creativity. I can increase the love in my life and the joy in my life. Because I know, as it says, as Holmes said, if I, if I want more love, be more love. If I want more joy, then activate joy in my heart. But if I'm in victim consciousness, why bother? I'm not going to be nice to people. Because they're just, they're, they're crummy to me in kingdom one. But in kingdom two, we start to realize, you know what? And then we start to develop the courage. We're going to keep doing it even if people don't, uh, aren't, don't uh, give it back. We make it our practice. And so I got into kingdom two around this story and I realized, all right, I'm going to push down my frustration. I'm going to have the courage to understand something more interesting is happening. And I don't know what that is, but I'm not going to fall into victim consciousness anymore. Because it seemed like everything, that, and, you know, and of course, I'm, this is my story. I'm totally invested in it. 
But it, what happens is when you work with it, as you pull it up and look at it, and sometimes we pull it up and look at it, it doesn't take 15 minutes. It might take 15 months. It might take 36 months. But we look at it until it no longer has power over us, and we're developing faith. We're de- developing a perception. Because if I believe that, that that is my source, and that has been wasted, of course I'm going to be upset. But if I realize that that was just something that happened, and it was a journey in the evolution of our organization to, to step out in the courage to do something different, and those resources allowed us to make that step and that leap, even though the results didn't look like success, then I look at it in a different way. So to move from kingdom one to kingdom two requires the courage. To move from kingdom two, manifestation, to kingdom three, it's very difficult because we take our power in kingdom two. And then to live in co-creation, which is kingdom three, we have to give up control and we have to surrender to spirit. So if we haven't developed the faith in kingdom two to do that, we're never going there. And what it takes is it takes taking responsibility for everything. Which, which requires, in the movement into Kingdom 3, is gratitude and forgiveness. And the forgiveness is so we can take responsibility because if we believe we're not responsible, we can never change it. Isn't that interesting? If I own who I am and my experience and know that there's something alive in my consciousness and some things I don't understand, but, I, that, but my yes has created the experience I'm having. And the only way I can change it is to take responsibility for it then I, I have to stop doing this. All those guys that wasted the money, that all that effort I did in the Fillmore Church, and oh, I'm on and on and on with my story. I have to forgive that. I have to put it down and understand that was spirit's expression at the level of consciousness that was reflected individually and collectively. And we did it. We survived. And then, as I look at it today, is when I can move myself into that gratitude, responsibility, and forgiveness... I can look at it and I can say, thank you, God. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you for guiding me to that experience. Thank you for letting me know what it looks like to start with nothing and to look around in my environment and find something I can pour my love into. So I might not have more than 15 people on a Sunday, but tomorrow I'm going to go out and I'm going to repair this wood because what it did for me is it created a bigger me. And, then I, and when I finally made peace with the idea that this might be my ministry, I might be here for the, forever. And, and it was a huge shift for me to make peace with it and say, this might be where I, all that I'm, I'm going to do. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it with great love and I'm going to do it with great clarity. And I know that the people that can help stretch and support me in consciousness are going to show up as well as the ones that I can support. And so I kept working with that prayer and working with that prayer and saying, whatever I need to become, I make myself available to in this. I take complete responsibility for my, my experience here. And as I look back at that, it grew me. And it helped prepare me to, so I could step through the doors of this place to be of greater value and greater service. But, but I had to put down the victim consciousness. And I had to put down the manipulation consciousness. And I had to make myself available to what wants to happen. And this is what we teach. And, and Holmes so beautifully articulated it that, that it's, it, everything goes in a circle. That which we put out comes back to us. And so, I don't know about you, but for me, I, what I want coming back to me is, is abundance, joy, health, long life, clear mind, productivity, opportunity. 
I want to be around people that continue to stretch me so that my mental equivalent expands and expands and expands. So that my life is a, a, a lifelong learner. So that when I sit with Dr. Roger Teal from the Mile High Church and see what he has created there and the people that he's brought into his life, when I see him, I don't know all the details, nor can I understand it in the moment, but when I see him, I get to say in my heart, that's for me. There's one, someone who stretches me in my mental equivalent, that's for me. When I went to Brazil with him, I was amazed how so many things just sort of didn't land with him that were of, of say, a victim consciousness nature. And so, you know, for me, it was an inspiration to see him, how he filtered that. Because we're always exposed with ideas. People always come up and they want to they share with you something. And, oh, you, yeah, yeah, life's perfect. Well, how about this? Let me share this with you. And he would just listen. Okay. Uh-huh. I hear you. Is that so? So, third kingdom is really, really potent. What am I saying yes to? And if my yes is big enough then my nose, the things that I say no to become smaller and smaller and smaller because then I can say, yeah, I get that. We always used to do that. Remember how we used to always have the chairs here? There were two, two things. And I love it. People like Laurent came in today and says, where am I supposed to go? And he started climbing over the chairs to come down the middle because he's used to the aisle. I said, you go for it. But, but change, the, you know, and so a little bit of change, we move the furniture. I've said that at the leadership council. I said, I think we should do something more meaningful than move the deck chairs around in the Titanic, you know. So what is, it that, what, what is it that the planet is calling for? And those ideas are bubbling up and percolating. And it's a wonderful experience. I was, when I was gone one of these last weeks, I talked to a minister friend of mine talking about yes and no. This really, and I thought, because she shared this story with me, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm talking about yes and no. And, and she said a woman came to her and um, said, this is the third time that I'm going to pay off my daughter's credit cards. Anybody ever done that? Okay, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but okay. There's a couple of people in the room, I can tell by the giggles. Third time, I'm, tra- I'm tra- paying off my daughter's credit cards. And so my friend looked at her and said, and why would you do that? And she said, well, because she, you know, she's got all this debt and I want to help her. And she said, and this is the third time you'll do it. And she said, yep. And she said, well, let me tell you what that, you're saying yes to that is. Your yes to that is a no to that your daughter is capable of generating the income to pay off her own credit cards. Your yes to that is a no that your daughter has gifts and talents to share with the world. Your, daughter, your yes to that is a no that your daughter is not broken. You're saying she's broken, she's incapable, and she's a victim. So you go right ahead and pay off those credit cards if you want. So the mom came back two weeks later and said, guess what? What? Well, I told her I wasn't going to pay the credit cards off. And what did she say? Well, she screamed, and she cried, and she hollered, and she made a scene. I said, "Uh uh-huh. And she said, what did you do? And she said, I just listened. I said, good. And she said, two days ago, my daughter went out and got a job. And now she's going to create income to pay off her credit cards. But if, if, if my minister friend had not planted the seed of what are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to, she would not have supported her daughter in the opportunity to mine the depths of her talents and skills and abilities and share them with the world and create value. But how many times have I done that in my life? I'm not asking you, how many times have I done that in my life because I want to make it easier for my children or I want to make it easier for somebody? You know, I was on White Avenue one time with Laura and two other friends, they were visiting in town and some guy came up and asked me for, I don't know what, five bucks or something. And, and, and so I stopped and I said, you know, 
you reflect a lifetime of poor choices. And he's like, <laughs> he's got his hand out and I said, you know what I know about you and I don't even know you is that this is not the first time you've asked for money. And if I were to give you money, I wouldn't be empowering you because you have gifts and talents. And as I'm saying this, he's walking away from me like this. <laughs> and Laura said to me, don't be doing that anymore. I said, well, I, I just felt inspired. Because it is, it's a lifetime pattern. And I'm not saying don't help where help is appropriate. But we know that in our hearts. But I mean, it's just, it's so obvious. I say to him, look, if I give you, I got a guy that comes over the house and he makes up stories every time he knocks on the door. First time he came, I gave him five bucks because it was easier. I had five bucks in my pocket. Second time he came, so I'm not doing that anymore. And he frowned and looked at me disappointed. I said, I'm not doing that because if I keep giving him money, he just keep coming back. I don't want, see, I don't want him to think I'm his source. But I want to help. I want to give where I can give. I want to be generous with my supply, but I'm not empowering that guy by doing that. You know, he comes up, I got the grass all cut. I want to know if I can cut the grass. I said, I just got done cutting the grass. Where were you 45 minutes ago? We might have negotiated at that point in time. But the point is, is we all fall into those traps. And sometimes I do it because it's convenient and I don't want to have that discussion <laughs> whether I have it with them or with myself. But what am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? And what's coming up in my awareness? Because as we, as we have the ideal of what we want to experience, there's two pieces to it. One is the intention. Set the intention. And that intention is probably not what is in our, uh, the subjective nature of our consciousness. That's why it takes practice. We set the intention, and then we create the invitation. And the subtlety there and the problem is, is as soon as we start to grasp and as soon as we start to chase it, it gets farther and farther away. So how do you develop that? How do you, how do you stay the course? Well, in Abhijandi and with John of God, what they say is your job is to find the highest thought possible. So when you find yourself slipping into those areas of fear and lack and limitation, which are kingdom one, to all of a sudden realize, oh, no, no, this is what I stand for, the highest possibility, and I make myself available to that. What is the highest thought? Well, I'm struggling with the highest thought because I'm into fear and lack and limitation. Well, then let me stop in this moment and find something I'm grateful for. What am I grateful for? I'm alive. I've got a body. I've got lungs that work. I've got fingers that work. I've got a mind that can think. I have the ability to read. All of, sometimes you've got to break, you've got to break right down to that. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's the feeling tone of abundance. And then when you find the resentment coming up, and that's how I move through this, this iteration with my experience with the Fillmore Church. And now it's like, man, it was, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. And it wasn't about those, those resources being wasted because those resources are not the source. It's the big idea waiting to happen. And so the, those resources allowed the organization to step out in a way it's never stepped before and to, and to subject the, themselves to criticism and, and, and things around that idea of lack and limitation. But to have the courage to say, I hear you. Yeah, but we tried. And to be able to have the compassion and the love and self-respect for you in your own life when you try things that don't work out. See, our teaching is not that you're going to think a thought, set the, create the invitation, and it's going to happen overnight. It takes time. It's the nature of it. And the reason that it takes time is so that we can continue to build a bigger container of consciousness, which is why we're here anyway. And the rest of the stuff is just stage dressing. The houses and the cars are all wonderful. But that's not, the, that's not the end destination. That's just simply a way for us to keep track of how we're doing. And, and so it's so wonderful to be able to come together and talk about these principles, to have Dr. Holmes still with us, the printed word. I can be grateful today for the printed word. 
He's just an amazing, amazing man. And I love him. You know, and every time I open up one of his books when I'm lost for something to say, I open up one of his books and I go, wow, there it is. Holmes said in Mental Equivalence, one of the most necessary things to remember is that we cannot demonstrate life beyond our mental ability to embody. We have to own it. We have to get it from here to here. We give birth to an idea only from within ourselves. What we are, we put into our thinking. We are, what we are not, we cannot put into it. See, he understood at that deep level of consciousness. If we are to draw from life what we want, we must first think it forth into life. It always produces what we think, and in order to have success, we must first conceive it in our own thought. And that takes time, and it takes practice. So be kind to yourself. Just keep practicing. Just keep practicing. Try it out. Find the ideal. How do I move to that? What's the bigger idea? What's the mental equivalent? If I don't know, something within me is guiding me. That's why we do prayer. That's why we do meditation. That's why we work with prayer partners. All of that stuff here so that you, you, you can live that beautiful expression of the infinite in your life. To live in joy and freedom. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's so contrary to what the world will tell us. Isn't it? And that's the challenge. Listening to all that, reading that, being exposed to that. Because the world will tell you there's not enough. You're not enough. You're the problem. I was reading the other day that the baby boomers are the biggest problem now. I'm like, oh boy, I'm a baby boomer. I'm a problem now, I guess. <laughs> so I read it. I blessed it. I put it back down. I said, this, these ideas, I'm not going to create space in my consciousness for this because it's not something I agree with. I say no to that. So I can continue to say yes to this. And it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful Canada. Have a wonderful Canada Day. Thank you for your beautiful consciousness. Thank you for continuing to be open and willing and receptive to these possibilities and, and the, the collective of, of beautiful love that is present within your temple and with, that we create collectively. It's a beautiful thing. And your love and your light are a contagion for good on this planet. No doubt about it. And so it is. Come the guys.